Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large. Uh, coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. All right, so we are beginning the new year. Uh, fresh start for 2019. Yeah, right, sure. It's just another day. But really, it is a new year, and I do have some uh, plans and schemes and, and, and things up my sleeve for this year. And one of those things is I wanted to talk a lot more about uh, the activism element of, you know, yeah, I do work against Scientology and against destructive cults, but there are, is a big, broad, wide world out there. And Scientology and destructive cults are, are kind of a very small niche part of it. Uh, there are lots and lots of people wrapped up in these groups, and it gets pretty ridiculous. But there are, but as I said in my uh, last podcast, I think last week, those are a microcosm of, of lessons we can learn, things we can, we can take away from those destructive cults into the big wide world that will give us all an ability to live our lives better, easier, more compassionately, you know, more effectively, whatever, however we want to go about doing that. And uh, I always feel a little funny talking about making people's lives better because I start thinking guru thought, like somebody's going to start thinking I'm like a guru or something. Anyway, so for this first episode of the new year, I invited um, Seth Andrews. He is an atheist activist. Uh, I consider him a friend and a, and a really great guy uh, to be on my show, and he agreed. So Seth, welcome to my podcast. It's going to be back. Happy New Year, my friend. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you. How is the New Year treating you? I get a little cynical about, you know, I mean, after 50 years of New Year's resolutions or, or <laughs> celebrations, you know, it's, it's funny. I saw a meme online that showed New Year's with your in, 20, in your 20s, and you're out in the town, and you're having the time of your life, and then in your 30s, you're, you know, you're in bed at 12.15, but at least you <laughs> made the New Year. Now right. I'm like, you know, I, why in the world am I? I'm tired. It's 11. I'm just going to bed. Just tell me about it. I'll look, you know, I'll, I'll watch the DVR or the ball drop. <laughs> yep. That's yep. coming, you know, that that sort of thing is happening. But I'm also a kind of, I'd like to think I'm an optimist at heart. And despite all the insanity in the world, I, you know, I'm, I really want to be about good things. I want 2019 to be about good things. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm holding up some optimism that things will improve in the world and that we can make a positive difference in the world as we move forward. I, I don't think that's a, a lie I've told to myself. I really do think, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to be a, about people and human beings apart from magical thinking and all these dogmas, well, you know, I, I think we can be the, the change we wish to see in the world. The quote holds true for me and hopefully for a lot of people. I agree completely. And I think that it's very important we be clear about how we can do that and be realistic about it. You know, one thing that I ran into, of course, with my background with Scientology is, you know, biting off way more than, than anyone could ever chew. I mean, this idea of saving the world and clearing the planet, making every single human being in the world a better person and all this spiritual enlightenment is a little bit much, but I, I've, I've learned to sort of try to temper my goals and make them realistic, but still, big, chunky things I want to do out there. And I think, uh, I think for me, the best way to articulate it is trying to get people more truth-centric or more aligned with truth um, and thinking that way. You know, uh, Hunty's really great about that. He says something about, uh, you know, I want to live a, a true life or I want to live a, a live a life that is based on truth. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to bust up his quote here and he's going to probably wrap it for it. But I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. That's and it. That's, that's a worthy way to approach things. You know, I, we're not always going to get it right. We're the flawed human condition, but so let's be honest and try to pursue truth as honestly as we can. Uh, you know, the key is, and this is something I'm focusing on for the new year and in my shows and in all my work is, we live in a society that punishes people for mistakes. I mean, I'm, I'm not about, I'm not saying we should, there shouldn't be consequences for mistake, 
I'm saying we live in a society that has made a sport out of ruining people's lives or trying to ruin their lives for being human. And was it Neil Gaiman or someone who said, if you're making mistakes, good. It means you're doing something. You're being proactive about your life. Hopefully you're learning from those mistakes. But and I hold to that. I, I'd like to try to help cultivate a more of an atmosphere where people aren't putting together these very elaborately designed gauntlets to make other people walk through. And if they make one misstep or they say something wrong or they had a bad idea or they just blew their stack one day, you know, that stuff lives forever on the internet. And uh, I'd like to see more forgiveness. I'd like to see more latitude given, more humanity. And already there's somebody mashing at a keyboard who's saying, well, why in the world would I ever give forgiveness to a Nazi? You know, and I'm like, am I talking about the Nazis? No, I'm absolutely right. part of the problem, right, Chris? I mean, you've right. seen it out there. It's oh, my God. The tearing down of human beings for sport, you know? Exactly. Uh, it's actually, it is, and I think it's a dangerous mindset because it's actually, and I, and I, and I again, I'll just draw on my own experience here, but it's certainly, to me, an almost cultish mindset. Because one of the things that trips you up in cults, and this is universal for these groups, is the expectation of, unex of, of um, not just unrealistic, but wholly unaccomplishable standards. We're all human. We have all screwed up really bad in our past at some point. We have said the wrong thing. We've done the wrong thing. We, we thought something would be funny, and it wasn't. We thought something would be good for somebody, and it wasn't. And we can be held accountable for that. But if your expectation out there is that, is that you can only listen to people who have never made a misstep or a mistake, or you can only rely on people who have never screwed up in their life, then you're creating a worldview and, a, and, a, and a, an approach to people that you are constantly and continually going to be disappointed and let down by them. And you will constantly, therefore, be angry, upset, disappointed, grief-stricken, however your, whatever your reaction to that you know, unaccomplishable goal not being accomplished is, you're going to have that standard for every human being and they're going to let you down every single time. And I wanted to, I, I frame it that way because I want people to get that it's ultimately a kind of self-destructive cycle or expectation that you set up when you, when you put it out there that no public figure can ever mess up. You know, we have to hold Chris Rock accountable for, uh, you know, something he said 20 years ago, or Kevin Hart, right, uh, with, the, uh, with this recent Oscar thing, right? Like, at what point do you stop doing that and, and give people a pass? Well, maybe the point is when they say, I screwed up. People have a tremendous capacity to forgive. I, I really feel that way that, you mm -hmm. know, if you come forward and you're like, man, I blew it. I, I was, I'm no longer that person. I will spend the rest of my life trying to be a better person. You know, beside the, the purity testers online, uh, the people who are completely foreign to the concept of charitable listening, uh, I think most people are like, yeah, you know, I, I, I get that. You know, I mean, you don't give blind trust, but you provide the opportunity to build trust and you approach people in goodwill. And, you know, some people, I think, gain their validation for or the, their own sort of pitiful lives by spreading the misery into others, or they get attention by clawing at the coattails of public figures or hell, even members of their own friends and family circle. They're just, you know, they know that drama means attention means it just sort of feeds on itself. You know, I, uh, one of the gifts I gave to myself when I became an activist was the promise that while I wanted to serve a larger community, and I really do, when I produce a radio show, a video, I, I write a speech, I do some content, we do a live stream, we do an interview like this, I want, I want as many people as possible to benefit. But the gift I gave to myself was the reminder that I am not in the pleasing everyone business. <laughs> right? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I didn't subscribe to your channel for this. And I'm like, fine. You know, it's a great big wide internet out there. 
have a wonderful life. You know, uh, forgive the Shakespearean exit. Uh, you know, I understand many people want to want to make that Shakespearean exit, but I my responsibility is not to please a widely diverse planet of seven billion people. I'm serving a specific community. I have specific goals and not everybody fits into that mold. Not everybody gets in, into that particular house or neighborhood and you're not going to hurt my feelings. Have a nice life. You know? So, well, exactly. I actually made that mistake myself because I was um, into this mind habit, this habit of thinking of getting to everybody. I'm going to get to everybody. You know, everybody's going to, I'm going to appeal to everyone somehow. And I got broken of that. You know? well, but there is someone who has you know? universal appeal. It is you, Chris Shelton. I, I will. <laughs> You know, you you cross gender, culture lines, age brackets. You just your appeal transcends all that. Uh, I think one thing that you are doing, if I can be serious for a second, yeah, yeah, of course, I appreciate is that I think people sense in you a genuine desire to help other people. There are some people who they are acting in such a an unnecessarily controversial and provocative way. You can tell they're just in it for clicks. There's no such thing as bad press. And I really think you're about the quality over quantity game. I think you, you know, you genuinely have been through the mill in your own life and you want to try to help other people get out. I've been astounded. You know, your background Scientology, the Leah Remini stuff and the, and <laughs> yes. just the volume of criticism about, I, did I think this day would come? I just, <laughs> I, I'm astounded and amazed and so excited. I mean, Scientology is taking it in the teeth. Oh man. Yeah. And, and that's actually an accomplishment and I'm actually very happy about that. And thank you very much for your kind words about my, about my work. I, uh, I definitely try, I am all about helping people. That has always been a, a constant, even Scientology or not or whatever. And you on haven't that, had the men in black sunglasses show up yeah. or you, no one's stalking you. I mean, you know, no, I, used to, I read I'm these okay. stories back in the nineties that the church of Scientology was essentially like the mob. And if you said anything untoward about them, I mean, they could ruin your life. But it looks like right now inertia has started to make that impractical for the church, right? They're bleeding to death or no? Well, they are. They are. They're bleeding members. They're bleeding. I mean, they've certainly, their name is just mud, just completely toxic. And, uh, and they're not going to come in. They're not going to come back from that. I mean, I know, you know, it's not hard to figure out how they could come back from it, but they're not going to because their nature prevents it. You know, and I didn't mean to, uh, I'm sorry to derail you, but whenever I talk yeah. to you, I'm always like, I have a question. Like, do you think Tom Cruise will ever exit? Do you think he'll ever make a dramatic <laughs> exit after all these decades? Or do you think he's so pot committed that he'll be there forever? He'll never give it up. I have these questions. Well, Chris Shelton would know. Let's ask him. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, w I will say that um, I don't think Tom, I think Tom Cruise is going to be the last guy out the door. Let's put it that way. He, he does seem like he's so vested that if he, if he walked away now, it, he would, I, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but there would be some part of that where no one would ever take him seriously about anything. But then again, he's a Scientologist, so I have a hard time taking him seriously. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly what would happen. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what would happen. If Tom Cruise came out of Scientology, there would be a ton of acclaim and, and, and acknowledgement to him for doing that. He would actually be surrounded by tons of support. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the world in general recognizes what Scientology is. So if he came out of it and said, I recognize this was bad, everybody would be like, about goddamn time, Tom. So I wouldn't bash you know? him for taking so long to do the obvious? Because that would be they my would. Yeah, no, Tom, they, where you been, pal? You know? Yeah. Okay, he would have a, he'd have a percentage of that. Okay. All right. Well, I just had to throw that out. And I love Tom Cruise as an actor. You can, I, I'm there opening weekend, any Mission Impossible film, you know, he's a hugely talented guy. He's just a, he's a cautionary tale about just how dumb the human condition can be when it comes to religious ideas. It's just crazy. So. No, that's exactly right. And I, and actually that might segue quite well into the, into what I wanted to get into about religion, because it's a, such a controversial topic. I mean, it, it's, it's, I would say on par. And what do you think about this on par with politics? In terms sure, of, yeah. Well, I mean, it's close more, in my life. Lately, politics has been more polarizing. It's weird. Yeah. And I think it's because religion in so many instances is a cafeteria 
sort of form it into whatever you want it to be thing, you know, and a lot of people end up in this weird sort of nebulous deist position where, you know, my Jesus is, well, he's all gods and he loves everyone. And, uh, you know, we'll go somewhere when we die. You know, I hear a lot of this sort of, uh, it's Christianity light or whatever religion light. Polit uh, politics more than religion seems to really speak to our values. Uh, you know, when you see someone who is, and you and I are probably both the same way that, you know, we take, you ever take any heat for how much Trump stuff you post? Cause I just can't stand the man. Oh yeah. Um, Me, yes. Very much so. And they're like, well, how about all of us conservative Republican humanists? And I'm like, right now, the Republican platform is not a humanist platform and the Republican president is not a humanist president. So I can't, I'm, I can't jive those two. And as a humanist, I feel compelled to speak out about it. But now then, with the evangelical right, you have the convergence, right? You have this sort of melding together of religion and politics, which makes it even more toxic. I was waiting for it to come up at my family's house over the holidays because there's a lot of Trumpers in my immediate circle, right? I was just waiting for it. Lord, we thank you for President Trump. Or, <laughs> or aren't, you, aren't you excited about the stock market? Or It's usually something like that. And I'm, after I'm busy, after I'm done throwing up in my mouth, <laughs> um, you know, then I, I don't think I could have stayed. I wouldn't have chosen to stay silent. I, but fortunately, we, we left without any, any talk of religion or politics. So, Wow, impressive. Averted. Crisis averted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good job. Like, Natalie, my wife is not a, forgive the long answer, but my wife is not, she's not an atheist. Yeah. But she's also not a devout believer which is probably the reason that we work. She's, she's kind of a, you know, let everybody do what they want to do. It doesn't really matter. She's not an activist by nature. And, and uh, meanwhile, I'm, I'm yelling like, why doesn't this make you crazy? Why don't you join me on the picket line? You know, we've had those, those moments. But the conversations sometimes that we have about uh, politics, and we're more on the same side now than we were a few years ago. But, I mean, they're so rooted into our value system. You know, we're... Uh, I, I just, there's something about the, the political opinion that seems to be even more um, I don't know, polarizing, perhaps, than religion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What's your perception of it, Chris? Did you have... Well, I, you know, I'm, I don't have some master grand point here, but I do feel that um, it has become more divisive as a subject politics has than religion over the last couple of years. I mean, with our political situation being as as insane as it has been, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's been a growing thing. I mean, it's not like Trump appeared and suddenly everything went to shit. I mean, things have been, you know, this has been a progression of events that have been going back all the way. I mean, you can trace, you know, public distrust of, of national figures back to Nixon and, and even Kennedy and, and the tumultuous times through the 60s and the assassinations and everything else. So there's a whole backstory to it. But I think we're sort of sitting in the middle of this whirlwind now of, of consequences from all this, you know, not well thought out policies, criminal behavior on the part of politicians that just doesn't seem to end. If, if you go Richard Nixon on one end, you got Anthony Weiner on the other. Anthony Weiner's on the laughably horrible side and Nixon is on the tragically you know, makes you want to put your head in the sand because it's so awful side. I just watched that documentary. It's called Wiener. It's, it's a documentary about this <laughs> really? man. Yeah, no, and they took cameras into his um, political run and the scandals and his wife sticking by him through all this stuff as he's, you know, sending selfies to other women and he's doing all this really creepy stuff. And what I came away with was the, the man was completely, he was so not self-aware, like not as bad as Trump, but he seemed incapable of true self-reflection. Like, look at what my life has become. And for him, it was about, when you see him out in the political thing, he felt like, man, my ideas are worth listening to and let's go, go, go. Not realizing that he had essentially um, bankrupted his reputational equity. Uh, with the public by doing these untoward and, and disgusting things. And uh, so it's a weird character study, but it's actually a fascinating documentary and it's just called Wayner. So just, uh, I'll give it four stars. I'll give it four stars from a, a citizen review 
Um, and it, honestly, it, when you see someone like that, you you see wasted potential. You see someone who, you know, the guy's pretty sharp and he has a lot of experience in specific areas. And But he was his own worst enemy and remains so today. And his whole life just went to shit. And uh, it's, it's an, I think it's worth two hours of your time to, to check it out, whoever's watching. You know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I, where, is it on Netflix or? Uh, it may be or Amazon or Hulu's got it or something. I mean, it's. Uh, it's one of those things where we just started watching kind of on a lark just because the movie told Wiener, you know, it's like, oh, let's watch this guy. But then it became like we just couldn't stop. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in these kinds of tragic characters, people who, you know, they got the tiger by the tail, they got the world by the, by the ear, and then they make specific decisions that ruin their own lives and continue on a pattern of doing so. We're seeing it now with I mean, Trump is always a sociopath, but there's a, a level of, of I saw someone today. I mean, he's so duplicitous and he's he's like Walter Mitty on crack. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I saw someone who had been marketing flip flops, you know, for your feet. And yeah. they're designed with Trump tweets. And he has on like one foot is a tweet that says this. And on the other foot, the opposing foot is the tweet that completely refutes it. And they're both Trump tweets. And I guess the guy sold out an entire warehouse overnight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Wow. What a clever marketing thing. Flip flops, you know? Yeah, he's a flip flopper. So That's right. Which yeah. of course, and, and it is kind of funny how there is always a tweet. You can There's always something. go back in his... Twitter feed and find the exact opposite of what he's, if I were president, I would never take a vacation. I'd be working flat out. <laughs> I'd, I'd never play golf. Yeah. And yeah. now you, this guy's logged more golf hours than yeah. any yeah. president can, you know, all the yeah. presidents combined. The government's shut down. It's, it's on the president. It shows a tremendous lack of leadership, but of course the government shuts down. He's like, those Democrats suck. It's all their fault. It, it doesn't really make any difference. And you know, what, amazes me is that I'm surrounded by all these God and country, Oklahoma, redheaded Republicans who, who somehow think that he's the best thing since sliced bread. And I think, how did we get here? Like, have, have they always been here? And I just was too thick to notice. Someone said once that Donald Trump is like the black light at a crime scene. Like he is revealing all the, all the horrible stains that were there to begin with. We just could, we just didn't notice them. And I'm like, I think Trump may be the black light at a crime scene. And all this stuff was already here. I was just oblivious to it, you know? <laughs> I, I, think that's, I, I think that's completely accurate, personally. Because uh, anyway. he's, you know, you can't, you can't rise to a position like that if you're not appealing to something that exists in people. I'm not, you know, I don't think Trump is some, like, L. Ron Hubbard, clever cult leader guy who's got this whole you know, dogma he wants to feed to his people. He's, he took it from them, fed it back to them, and they went, oh, somebody finally understands us. Man, it's you know? a scary time. I never thought we'd get here. Um, but, you know, I, again, I try to be optimistic that the pendulum will swing back towards sanity and that, you know, we'll see cooler heads, more mature heads, <laughs> you know, less <laughs> awful heads prevail. That's my hope anyway. I, I join you in that optimism because that's my nature. But uh, that, and, but I have to say, if in terms of <laughs> in terms of putting a show here on whose main theme is let's talk about living with the truth, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I have to wonder about my optimism sometimes. But um, but at the same time, if you go long term, there's reason to have lots of optimism. Our checks and balances are working yeah. for the most part. You know, um, there's some troublesome decisions coming out of the Supreme Court, but when haven't there been, you know, so. I, I uh, released a, a presentation recently that I'd given around the country and recorded in Orlando, and it's called Unskeptical, Finding the Real Story in a World of Half-Truths. This is when it gets really tricky, right? Because what happens when a lie is 95% truth? What happens yep. when it feels intuitive and it looks right and it fits all the other narratives, but it's not quite accurate? And in an age when we have a barrage of headlines being tossed at it that are sourced and from reputable websites or, you know, experts or whatever, it's so difficult to try to keep our bearings when it comes to a pursuit of the truth. 
and it's on us, unfortunately. I mean, there's no one who's going to do the legwork for us. It's going to have to be us that double, triple, quadruple check to, uh, to ask the questions, to be skeptical about even the stuff that reinforces the stuff we already believe to make sure it's real, you know. Big time. I was thinking about this the other day and I realized I was thinking uh, we have to come up with some clever memes to communicate these critical thinking concepts and ideas and the appeals to truth because because uh, some, you know, like, I don't know, uh, uh, instead of a picture is worth a thousand words, uh, a meme is worth a thousand fact checks or something. I mean, I don't know, you know, just throwing out uh, like some kind of one liners or something. And it's hard to do with critical thinking and with truth because they tend to take more time to actually get across. How do you but, do that too? How do you compete with the, the shrinking attention span, including my own in the Twitterverse yeah. uh, and say, well, do some fact checking. And I'm like, well, hell, I don't have time for that. Right. <laughs> so for exactly. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and it seems like we're again, you know, putting ourselves right down the chute because we just don't take the time to just do a little few seconds more you know, check Snopes, check that fact checking, check this thing before I post it. No, nah, I can't be bothered. Who cares? It's no big deal anyway. Do. It's the ones that atheists do that drive me crazy. You know, like that George H.W. Bush quote about atheists shouldn't be considered citizens. That's never been properly sourced. And people share it all the time, right? Right. Uh, or um, uh, atheism, let's see, religion, the religious are all insane or religion is a mental illness. That's just... Right. Those types of things. I'm like, this is not only factually, intellectually wrong. It's just so amazingly unhelpful. You are not helping us <laughs> to try exactly. to have better ideas beat the bad ones by telling people who embrace bad ideas that they are damaged. They have damaged minds, the broken brain. That's not accurate and it's not helpful. And yet I still see it out there and it makes me nuts. I, me too. And it really does come from a lack of education on the atheist part on psychology, you know, education, how people actually work and operate, because it's so much easier for anybody to just throw out an insult. I made a statement. I here's my position. I'm, you know, folding firm. Yeah. You go, really? You know, do you have to put it that way? Yeah, I agree. I'm well, you know, and 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 I wanted to bring this up because um, so thanks for for bringing that up there because oh, by the way, that talk you gave in Florida was great. Oh, thank I you. mean, it was really good. I loved it. It was yeah. a great audience. It's it's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. It's, you know, we had uh, an amazing crowd. You know, when a speaker is doing a public presentation, a great audience is a gift. You know, we just had this, we had this symbiotic thing going on. It was amazing. And, and the content's fun to give because we covered a lot of stuff. It really, not much of it at all was about religion. It was about stuff like um, making a murderer, you know, the documentary yeah. they leave out. And we talked about the McDonald's coffee lawsuit and, and pop culture things that people know about that may not know everything about the difference between information and perspective. So thanks for that. It's hopefully going to get everybody out there that sees it kind of a, an encouragement to, you know, keep that skeptical eye open all the time, including myself. Absolutely. It's, it's well worth watching. And I, and I actually started repeating your, your statement there about perspective, because it's, it's a, it was a crucial point that you made. And, and it was a brilliant critical thinking video Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for people. So I'm going to link to that in the description on the, the podcast here. Um, but on this point, atheists get it wrong. Sometimes, uh, you know, believers get it wrong. I mean, in other words, all humans get it wrong on some things when we're spouting off on whatever we're spouting off about. But there were some things that I thought were worth mentioning <laughs> as far as this business of wanting to live with truth, because this is going to get back to our activism here. You know, like why would, you know, some people think atheists are just a bunch of mad people who were somehow disappointed by religion and therefore have a chip on their shoulders and they're mad at something, and that's why they're atheists. And it doesn't help when you have atheists represented on TV shows like this God is Texting Me show or whatever. We watched a couple episodes <laughs> of it, and I just thought, are you kidding me with this? I, I, I mean, couldn't do it. I couldn't watch uh, it. Is it. Is it what we had feared it would be? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. There's, a, there's this, the main character. His father is a priest. He has neglected, or he, he rejected, the, the, the kid rejected God because he's, you know, some accident. I think his mother died or something and in a car accident. Where was God? I'm, I'm probably miss, you know, remembering no, some it. of this yeah. stuff, but I, you I know, it's, 
the reports I'm hearing are kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Why do so many bad things happen to so many good people in this yeah, world? Exactly. <laughs> so there must not be any God and that's just how it is. And I'm just mad. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, that's not why I'm an atheist at all. Has has you know really nothing to do with my anger. Uh, my anger at Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard is a is a particular specific thing. I don't I don't broaden that out to now I'm mad at God. Who? I, how, why would you be mad at somebody who doesn't even exist? It's a it's such a weird idea. Atheists, I don't think generally are like that. In fact, I've not yet. I have yet to meet one atheist in real life who actually is that mad and that, that, that out there. The only person who even came close in terms of firebranding was uh, Silverman um, when I had him on my podcast. I mean, he was, he's pretty, you know, pretty <laughs> gung-ho about his atheism. But, um, but I thought but there are legitimate reasons to have a problem with some aspects of religion. And it's not about the... The, the what's in people's heads so much is what they're doing with it. And I, I don't know, but I wanted to like, where do you come down on that? You know, cause I know it's, it's a thing in the atheist community. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. So if I yeah. blather on, just jump in. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'll start with what, something I hear a lot, which is, you know, when did you decide to be an atheist? And that right there tells me you don't understand the nature of, you know, how we come to believe things or not believe things. I didn't choose. I didn't wake up one day and say, today I would like to reject everything I once knew and held dear. Uh, you just simply admit to yourself what you already think. And that's, that's, this is all a human-made construction that controls people and damages people. And it's really part of the problem. Uh, and then by admitting it, you just say, I'm, I'm an atheist. But I didn't wake up one day and say, I choose to be an atheist. I, um, you know, I, I just was honest about what was happening under the, under the skin. And uh, I think some people say what makes you so angry is designed, that's designed as a conversation stopper. Because, you know, we look around in this hyper-connected world at so many genuine opportunities for indignation. I mean, I get angry when I see little four-year-olds carted into a, a church Sunday school where they teach the magical thinking and non-science and essentially in many ways hamstring them for the rest of their lives because they are sort of predisposed. They're trained at a very young age to think in ways that are more apt to embrace non-truth or fantasy instead of fact. Uh, that's a form of abuse. You're sort of abusing the stewardship as a child. I'm not saying that people intend to hurt children, but it makes me angry to see that they're taught things like hell and original sin and, and all that stuff. And so when you get angry about that, the abuses in the Catholic Church, the damage done by Scientology, whatever, people say, well, your anger is proof that there's something simply wrong, that you are simply not a happy person as an atheist. And I think this, in many instances, is a tactic. It's designed as a conversation stopper, a way to shield religion from criticism by going after the messenger. You know, the question isn't, why am I angry about the pedophiles in the Catholic Church? The question is, why the hell aren't you angry about the pedophiles in the Catholic Church? Big time. And I, you know, I, I hear the anger question a lot. I'm, I was angry when I first emerged. I felt like I'd wasted so much time and I felt kind of stupid for not figuring it out sooner. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you can see it in the temperature of my work back in 10 years ago. I was sarcastic and you know i had a chapter in my autobiography and i called it santa claus for adults and while it's factually kind of true it's it reflects that i was just a little more edgy and amped up where these days i've taken a breath you know i've had a chance to have a lot of discussions i i sympathize more with victims of bad ideas i see us more as the human condition and so when we walk into a room, I don't think, well, I'd like to know who the atheists are so I can be friends with them. I walk in and I say, who's a good person? I want to be friends with them. I want to know them. And then let's figure out where they're at. We can have those discussions about values and belief after the fact. Um, so I've softened. I don't know. Did you find that was the case? You had to have been totally pissed when you busted out of Scientology. You know? Oh, yeah, massively. And, yeah. And, and, and there are still things about Scientology that, I, that I'm still very angry about. But I, um, 
but I can focus it on those things. I, my general view about the whole subject has really calmed down quite a bit over the last few years. Um, as I, you know, the belief system and some of that kind of stuff. But I've also come, it's been an interesting progression because at the same time, when I first got out, I wasn't going to go after the belief system of Scientology specifically. It was about the abuses. And, and, and predominantly, that has been what my work has been all about. Now I'm actually breaking down the actual belief system because I'm finding that a lot of this bad behavior and abusive behavior comes out of these beliefs. And the beliefs are, are skewed or they're wrong or there's factually false information there that causes people to act really, really strangely. So I'm, so I'm now attacking those beliefs, even though when I first got out, I was like, hey, people can believe what they want. Let's be tolerant. Let's all get along. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm having trouble with that view in the face of some of the atrocities that these beliefs seem to be creating. Um, and by this, I'm talking exactly about what you were just mentioning with the children. I, I'm really concerned about you know, the children and child indoctrination. I'm also concerned about child abuse, spousal abuse. This seems to be written into the dogma of certain Christian circles that the Duggars, for example, are part of. So I've been struggling with, with this of where, how, where, where's my line here on how do I, you know, say, yeah, I'm all about tolerance of belief and understanding people, but at the same time, I don't want to tolerate or 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 live alongside child abusers. So yeah. it's yeah. it's it's problematic, you know. Here's an interesting conversation that I just had today. Um I have done a lot of shows, I mean relatively speaking on Islam, we talk about how you know, the second most popular religion on planet Earth has done its share of damage out there. And um we're talking about this no hijab day when people like Yasmin Muhammad and others are encouraging women as they throw off their sort of mandated hijabs and saying, I refuse to wear this. Obviously, they're in these patriarchal cultures where the, the male edict, uh, you know, says you must, the religious male edict says you must wear this. And they're saying, you don't, you don't get to tell me what to do. And many of them have put themselves in harm's way to make this brave stand. And so I showed some support on Twitter. And I said, you know, people, progressives who are trying to use the hijab as sort of a symbol of, of diversity, you know, uh, women have the right to wear whatever they want. And no one's telling them they can't. I'm saying, let's not celebrate a symbol that is so often used around the world to dehumanize other human beings. I felt like the point was pretty simple. Yeah. But I, unfortunately, have been informed that I am a white American male and I am not qualified to say anything about the Islamic faith or the hijab or women because I am a white American male. And I stopped and thought to myself, how do you get there? And we just had, I just had a thread about a half an hour ago. Like you are a white privileged male. Why in the, you need to be quiet on this issue. You are not qualified to speak. And I'm like, I'm a fellow human being who wants to be an advocate for the oppressed. I want to join hands with people who are like me, not like me, whoever, part of the human condition. And I want to, be a part of a solution out there. And we've sort of cordoned ourselves off into these little petty tribes that, and these weird purity tests that if you don't fully pass them, you're not qualified to be my advocate or to stand by me. What a tragic world that is. And that's what I've been carrying with me all afternoon. I've been thinking, God, you know, I, how can I not be an advocate for someone who might be in need? If you see a drowning person, you don't say, hey, are you black or white or Hispanic or male or female or trans or gay or straight? I say, you're a fellow human being. You're in trouble. You know, let me help. And I sure wish we're, there was more of that. But these purity tests are killing me. They're just killing me. I know. And, aren't they something? Aren't they something? I, mean, I understand like the concept of privilege. I, I get that. I understand what they're talking about in theory. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about. People are like, I, you aren't qualified to speak about Islam because, and I'm like, why am I not? I'm part of the human condition. It affects the world I live in, right? Exactly. Uh, the, the, and, the, and the fact is that this is somebody who's literally trying to take away your rights because in their twisted version of reality, you, because of who you are, which you have no control over, no matter how hard you try, you can't stop being white. 
No matter how hard you try for the rest of your life, unless you really go have surgery <laughs> or something, you're always going to be uh, a male. <laughs> and odds are, since it's not really much of a choice in terms of our sexuality, you're going to be cis. So how are you supposed to do anything about those things? So I'm taking your rights away from you simply because of who you are and what you quote unquote represent. And yet, this isn't racism, this isn't sexism, this isn't bigotry, this isn't any of those things because again, you're white and male and cis. So none of those things apply to you. Like the logic is infuriating. Oh, yeah. Well, right now they're mashing at their keyboards going, there are two white men on Chris's show talking about how they're victims. <laughs> yep. Did I say yeah. I'm a victim? Oh, no, of course I'm not a victim. I'm saying no. I want to be an advocate for my fellow exactly. human. He was Sarah exactly. Hader, a friend of mine from ex-Muslims of North America, and I won't be able to phrase it as well as she did, but I retweeted it from last year, I think. She was essentially talking about how I don't need to be you to stand with you, to learn from you. And so much of what people experience in oppressed cultures, religions, whatever, is something that others can relate to. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a black man walking downtown at night and experience racism by the cops who pulled me over. But I can learn from your experience and I understand how discrimination works. And you can, you can bring me into that world by educating me about what you go through. And then I, I mean, I know what it's like to be cast off or to have feel fear or to you know love your family and fear for their safety there are so many commonalities in the human condition that the idea of excluding me because i'm not a fellow black man or because i'm not a woman who's promoting feminism or uh you know someone who wants to criticize the tenets of islam or whatever it, it, I, why in the world would we rob ourselves of advocacy in that way and I, I find it just as maddening as you do. I walk away and I think, I know, the, the left, I'm liberal, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm yes. liberal. I'm blue, true blue. I, you know, I'm, I'm on all the major issues. I fall on the left. And yet there are some liberals, and I just think you are so busy trying to be woke that you have forfeited every opportunity you have to be a part of positive change in this world. You bitch and moan about the dumbest stuff. You let every pebble derail you. And you're so easy, you're so eager to divide in opportunities when we might unite. It's okay to unite with people who might have disagreements with you on key issues. If the larger picture dictates that you can instigate effective change together, that's lost on some people. You know, completely I, I, lost. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, sorry. No, no, no. You don't don't, don't apologize this at white all. Male privilege is, I'm telling, only if this white male would have gone off on a rant like that. Sorry about well, that. Well, and that's the thing. We've gotten to a place now where we have to apologize for expressing an opinion. My we best friend is gay, all right? <laughs> My best friend came out to me in the in the 90s. I would stand with that guy at a pride parade any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Sorry to interrupt you. But I, yeah. I don't have to be gay to stand up for my friend, a man I love, a man who has been at my side for 30 whatever years. And the idea that I would have to be gay to properly speak on his behalf is to me ridiculous. It's stupid, it's counterproductive. We need to cast all these purity tests aside and start being about other people. So. Exactly, because what, it is counterproductive because what it does is it shuns and um, alienates potential allies instead of accepting them and bringing it in and increasing your power base and increasing your ability to get things done that you actually want to get done. Instead, they're so busy carping and purity testing and criticizing people on their own side. I mean, I have been lambasted on Twitter, I can't tell you how many times, by my own side, by my liberal friends, quote unquote, <laughs> who very quickly block you for daring to disagree with any part of what they have to say. It's maddening. It's send maddening. your emails to he doesn't really give a shit at chrisshelton.com. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so it gets a little bit, yeah, it gets a little bit much with these guys. And I and I I only I take I take cold comfort in the fact that it's that that extreme end of the left tends to is is probably fairly small. I think the survey came out at like eight percent or something. But uh, but still, it's just maddening how loud and and vociferous wow. and and, Maybe that's and destructive they want to be. They yeah. can really they can ruin a party. But yeah. you're right. This, statistically, we know they are a minority. I'm kind of hoping they just burn themselves out. 
like after a while, they just get tired of spinning in that little, uh, you know, that cylinder of angst and uh, counter productivity and get tired and move on to some, you know, fresh outrage somewhere else. <laughs> just leave the rest. Yeah, exactly. Just leave the rest of us alone. Well, you know, and the other the other tragic part about that whole thing, of course, is that they what they also don't seem to realize in what they're doing and I'm speaking to this extreme end on the left, although it applies on the, on the extremes on the right as well, is they don't realize how, 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 they, how alienating they are to all sides, left, right, whatever, and how people just look at that and go, that's crazy. That's just crazy talk. It's nuts. And the silent majority just kind of moves a little bit away. <laughs> goes, okay, you go over there and hopefully just leave me alone and I'm just going to kind of get on with things and you know, people just kind of roll their eyes. And, and unfortunately, those people are used by political opponents or social opponents as they represent all of us on the left. And that's where I really kind of get upset about things because it's not they don't represent me at all. Yeah, I agree totally. I saw somebody on uh, a conservative on their feed were like, you know, these liberals. And then they posted the most bizarre, toxic, recessive a regressive, rather leftist. And I was like, that I'm left. I don't know anything about these people, you know, <laughs> right, uh, but exactly. you know, they, they're essentially giving a big sweet spoonful of sugar to, uh, to their political opponents on the right, because they're feeding the narrative that all liberals do this. Exactly. Right. So I, I just want everybody, if any conservatives are still happen to be listening to the show here, <laughs> I just want you to know these guys don't represent us either. Don't so. represent us. Sorry. <laughs> you know, We're yeah, sorry. Yeah. But all right, now let's talk about humanism. Okay, coming into 2019 here, because this is this is where I really wanted to end up, is where where do you see, you know, how we can be most effective? Uh, as the little people out here, you know, because we're not the big names. I don't mean you and me, I mean all of us, the people listening to the yeah. show even. What can we what, what do you what do you want to see happen in this next year? Well, it, I can only speak to kind of what I'm, I'm doing. My focus in my own life is, you know, I have decided more and more that I want to be about, I want to try to foster in my own life and in the lives of others goodness. There's a guy who just moved into the house right next to us. Uh, he is, I just found out he is the worship pastor at a pretty major church here in this town. Okay. Well, in the minds of some, I should see him first as the religious worship leader. And we were outside, you know, and, and we had a chance to talk and he's just one of the nicest freaking dudes I've met in a long time. And and we developed kind of a rapport, got each other's numbers. If there's anything you need, you let us know. I'd love to hook up. Let's all have dinner. And he and I have become, we're human beings first, realizing that we really did enjoy each other. And uh, Natalie felt the same. You know, these, these are good people. And so instead of throwing the religion question out or walking up to his house wearing a fuck Jesus t-shirt or whatever, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really more about, hey, man, you know, you seem, he seemed like like good people, I, I want to be about people first. And then once we establish that interconnectivity and, and uh, we're able to have conversations, then we can talk about ideas. And we'll do so in a way that doesn't cause one person to slam the door and go run screaming. I'm, I'm not saying you have to do this with everybody. I'm not saying everybody will be your friend. I'm not saying everybody who moves in next to you will be a good person. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm tired of the dehumanization of, of the other the petty tribalism that has driven everybody into these micro pods of superiority and uh, I'm better than you and you're ridiculous and you're this and ad hominems and, and insults and foul language. And just uh, I, after a while, and I, I, the good news is I'm sensing that there's a backlash against this dehumanization happening. I think the pendulum may be starting to swing. People have a fatigue. There's a cultural fatigue against this, these purity tests and this really uh, polarized insanity. And they just want everybody just to take a damn breath, de-escalate, let's be kinder. Uh, so in my own life, you know, I thought if, if I can be a good human being and I can live a good life that's focused on people, then when atheism comes up organically in conversation, 
that is not something I foisted on somebody else, but it's something that becomes sort of a refutation of their preconceived ideas of what an atheist is. And now they're like, but Seth's a good guy and he's happy and he loves his wife and he, he loves what he does. And he just doesn't, he doesn't fit this sort of character of atheism that we have. We don't understand. And so now we're talking and, you know, I, I, I sure would like to, to see us unite more than divide. Right now, someone's going, why would I be unite with a Nazi? Right. It, this is what it's like in the Twitter. But in my own life, that's really what I want to be about. Um, I'll still talk a lot about atheism, but I really want to be more about the human condition, helping people. Let's solve problems. Let's meet needs. Let's be kind. If somebody says, bless you, I don't say, bless me. That's magical talk. I refuse your blessing. I don't accept that. I say, no, thank you very much. You know? And is that so hard? Is that so hard to do? Like, I don't really get where the intolerance on the atheist side comes from either. I get where the anger yeah. That the abuses comes from. I think some of it's a superiority right. complex. I think there are some people out there that simply like to feel like they are smart and the other person's dumb. And yeah. so, you know, they, they do that. Someone says, uh, you know, have a blessed day. And I reject your blessing. <laughs> this is magical. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. I mean, you know, there's some, there's some gauging of intent, right? If you're, if I'm standing at my mom's house and she's like, I'll pray for you. I know there's passive aggression just oozing off. But you know, if, if I'm at a hospital and, and I'm my, my wife is having a procedure and someone walks by a nurse says, you know, we'll be in prayer for her. Thanks. Thanks for that. I mean, I'm, that's not the moment I'm going to have that discussion. I'm going to receive a gesture of kindness and say, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> let's, let's, let's receive and give kindness a little more. Kindness is not weakness. It doesn't mean we're surrendering our values. It doesn't mean we're acquiescing to the most awful uh, forces in the world. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't surrender to this notion that we have to be ugly to be strong. Um, you know, goodness can be extremely strong and much more effective in so many cases. So. I, I could not agree with you more. That has been a principle I've been operating on for many, 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 many years, maybe pre-Scientology even. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I strongly believe in that. You know, I, I mean, to the point I, I got it tattooed on my arm. It says, What's it, say? it says it's chaos, be kind. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it comes from uh, Pat Oswalt, actually, from, uh, from something his ex-wife, his, his, the one who died told him, you know, and, and it is, it is chaos out there. It's nuts, you know, and it, and it always will be because because even if, even if you took all the humans off the planet, it would still be pretty chaotic out there. It's still pretty <laughs> nuts, you know? no, it's funny. We were doing some uh, Christmas uh, charity and uh, I had been given the name of uh, someone who had a specific need and our listeners came together and raised some money. So it was charged to me, of course, as host to call him up. A surprise call. Like, hey, this is Seth Andrews. You don't know me. And they're not atheists. But in the moment that we knew that they had a, a need that they couldn't afford to pay this bill or whatever they needed to do, it didn't make any difference whether or not I was this denomination or I was this skin color or I was this or I was that or whatever gender or what political background. It was, it was, hey, we just want to do something to try to matter and help you in a time of need, let us do it. Bam. And they break into tears. And I got choked up. I'm like, oh, this is really amazing. It was just this moment between two people. Now I'm not saying everything has to be a freaking Hallmark movie. I'm not saying that I live, I want I don't, I don't buy that, but uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I, if we can focus a little more on people and then get into the ideas, I really think we're going to make a lot more headway in changing perceptions changing minds, uh, changing the culture for the better. It's not going to happen when you become a keyboard warrior on Twitter and tell people how retarded they are because they're this or, or, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to happen whenever you go out and decide to be the change you want to see in the world. And, and a lot of people are going to reject that, but I, I think we should embrace it. I agree completely. Again, you're, you're totally, uh, saying everything I'm thinking right now. Even I was going to bring up the Obama uh, quote there. I was going to bring that up. You know, be the change you want to see. In Is the that world. who said it? Crap, I was trying to source it. Uh, I and believe I so. That's where I heard it from. Uh, I'm sure. I didn't come up with it. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but it's such, a, it's such a good quote, you know, be the change yeah. you want to see in the world. And, and um, 
uh, it, it feels good. It feels good to, to not start with the negative expectation, to not want to make enemies, I, at least in my life. I mean, there's some people that feed on misery and drama. Hey, have a nice life. You can go do that over here. We're going to come over here and we're going to try to be about being the, the human race. You know, we are all part of the human condition. Let's start there. And then once we know we, uh, we, we are people who can help each other and be there for each other and develop friendships and relationships, then we talk about ideas. And before you know it, we're having real dialogue. And dialogue is where, you know, that's where the best ideas have a chance to win. So, I, Exactly. And you're making such a great point here, Seth, because um, it is people first. We try to dive right in on the ideas phase of the conversation yeah. before having the, hi, who are you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh. You know, we, we and, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is just not how it gets done. You know, you're not going to change people's hearts and minds this way. So I, I yeah, I'm 100 percent on board with you there. It's an interesting uh, observation to as a communicator about the purpose of small talk. Like I used to be that guy. I would walk right in and say, so why is it that you think this? I mean, I would <laughs> yes. to a total stranger. Yeah. You know, but small talk, when people say these sort of what I often considered to be kind of vacuous. How you doing? You know, how you been? People don't care. No one's, at, no one's waiting for you to tell them how you are. You right. know, did you have a good flight? Oh, <laughs> what kind of question is that? But, but these phrases and sentences have, they have another, um, they, they serve another purpose, which is sort of warming you to the deeper conversation so that you're not overwhelming people with the heavier topics and questions. So, hey, how are you? How you doing? Hey, I love your house. Or, oh, it's going to be cold tomorrow. It looks like rain. These types of things that they're kind of nothing on the surface actually are exercises in developing rapport where we're talking and engaging back and forth, developing that sort of uh, communication rhythm, if you will. And then, you know, you start to navigate into the deeper edge of the pool. And so I no longer walk into a room and say, why is it that you voted this way in the primaries? <laughs> right. I walk in and I'm like, hey, you know, it's great to meet you. I hear great things about you. Tell me about yourself. You just start light and then sort of navigate your way into the deeper waters. Don't try to build Rome in a day. You know? That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, and, it, and it, I think it's something that's easy for us to lose sight of because we get so passionate about our causes and about our feelings or our ideas about things, especially when we feel, and this is everybody, you know, we feel so strongly about that we have truth on our side, you know, truth, justice, American way. So I can, you know, so that gives me the excuse to just dive right in. And, and I, I don't know, what do you think about this? Do you think it's a young person thing? You know, like this eschewing of, of the lubrication of social, <laughs> you know, <laughs> appeasement and getting to know you and the small talk. Do you think, do you think we're kind of losing some, I mean, do you think it's, um, like, you know, cause it seems like it's kind of something we're growing into as older people. Oh yeah. This stuff exists for a reason. You know? I don't know. I don't know that it's general. I mean, I, I don't know either. A lot of very blunt speaking in the skeptical community because you see a lot of people who fancy themselves enlightened thinkers Yep. And they function with this sort of, I don't know, they take the concept that honesty is the best policy and they kick that into overdrive and then they give it roids and then they pour alcohol on it. And then you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes. hon honesty. yeah, well, yeah, we, we need to live honest lives. But, you know, you don't walk up to someone and say, uh, dear God, you've gained 50 pounds. What the hell happened to you? You know, right. you might be being honest, but... It, are you bettering the human condition? Are you building other people up? I, I, I'm reminded of someone in my own life. Um, it was a, a woman I had, uh, who was at a, a tour stop. Oh God, this is years ago. She walks up and she's like, I would listen to your podcast, but I can't stand your voice. <laughs> really? And I was just like, now, now, now that's a valid opinion, right? She, uh, some people think I sound too much like a breacher or whatever. That's a totally valid, that's a preference. That's yours. You own that. Wonderful. But to lead with that in a conversation makes it harder for us to have rapport. Because the whole time I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm a exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, also, you and I are um, disadvantaged a little bit because we... Um, I never really thought about this before, but because we put ourselves out into the public light, over and over every week, we're throwing ourselves out there. I've had way more than a couple of people tell me upon first meeting me or first contacting me, I feel like I know you. 
I feel like I know all about you. So they're diving right into the, oh, that's true. you know, and we're sitting here going, whoa, I, I, I thank you, but I really don't even know you at all. <laughs> that was true in FM radio even, and it's really true in the podcast, in, in radio especially, but but I think video podcast as well. Yeah. It's, it's such an intimate medium. You know, you're not talking to 100,000 people. You're talking to one person in 100,000 different instances, right? Exactly. It's a one-on-one thing where they hear about me and they hear about Natalie and the dogs and what happened to my families over Thanksgiving and what we, you know, what I made for dinner and just whatever anecdote pops into my mind times week after week, month, month, year, year. And they learn so much. And then by the time you meet them, they've saved up all the stuff that they would like to say and it just explodes out of them. And that yeah. used to blow my mind. I used to just, you know, like, whoa, what do I do with that? But now I understand <laughs> right. what it is. I see it almost always as an exercise in goodwill. I just need to tell you the story. I just wanted to share with you the show that, that was there for me, or I just have an idea that I want to pass on. And I try to make sure to, to never take that for granted and to give everybody as much time as I can, you know, given the laws of physics, trying to give them as much time as I can in the moment to know, to, to validate that because it is valid. And it's, it, it sort of reminds me of what an honor it is. I thought I'd left the the radio business or broadcasting in this way forever 15 years ago i thought i'd never get a chance to do it again and the internet has not only made it possible but it's made it my livelihood and i just think i i, I want to make sure i never lose perspective that i'm always saying thank you thank you thank you that i'm always wrapping my arms around the, the audience and letting them know that without them it it matters none and um and to try to be an encourager as much as they've encouraged me so I told. I mean, I told you I don't like the Hallmark movie, but my life is going to become a Hallmark movie. <laughs> I know, right? We're having all these Hallmark moments now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, and 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 good for you, and 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 good on you for for seeing all of that because it's because it, it's true. It's difficult. It's hard, you know. And we don't. We're talking to a camera, you know. We're not talking to even people all the time, you know. I mean, unless we get a chance to get out and actually talk to folks, which I love doing, and I know I'm I'm sure you do too. And it can make it all, you know, it can make it, um, can kind of, how do I want to put this? Like, um, it's just good to be reminded that, that of these social niceties and the necessity and the necessity of them, I think is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. You know, the, the bad headlines always get the the press. Yeah. But I, I think I still hold to the idea that there's a lot of good in the world and it's hard to think that sometimes when you are bombarded with every real-time negative news clip from every corner of the globe on social media. But I, I, I really feel like, you know, there's, we shouldn't just curse the darkness. We do need to, to continue to try to build and fortify and increase the light. And, uh, and there's, you know, we have, a starting point to begin. We have goodness out there that we can we can rally together and and um, and continue to cultivate that and build each other up. And, and so that's kind of my thing for the new year. I I'm going to travel a little more. I'm going to try to connect with people a little bit more and uh, just mostly try not to screw it up. You ever feel that way? Like, <laughs> oh, yes. How do I not screw this up? Like you know, I, I hope I'm hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You want to get out there. Success is not an antidote to that. Like, like you never lose that. You never, I, there's not a week I walk in and go, I don't deserve to be here. Like, I'm not good enough. I need <laughs> to, you know, this is, I think, something that a lot of people that do this kind of stuff, uh, creators probably of every stripe probably deal with. Am I worthy? And, uh, but I'm going to give it everything I got and, and I'm grateful for the support that I have. A uh, big time. I am. I am constantly amazed when I go out and do a pu- and do any public speaking that anybody shows up at all. <laughs> you know, like what? You yeah. really want to hear me talk about this? Really? I was in Vancouver, you know, and it's like, all right, PhD, 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 Seth, PhD. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I said from the stage, this is like a rodeo and I'm the clown, right? <laughs> I don't belong here. It was, Jerry, it was Dr. Jerry Coyne, the uh, uh, evolutionary biologist. He comes up and he's, he said, you need to stop saying that. Like, y- you matter. You're, you are, a, he was building me up, you know, and I was just having fun with it. But he's like, this is very untrue. And he took the time to sort of, to tell me that, 
you don't have to be one of these, you know, egghead PhD types <laughs> to, to, to make a difference. And that might be the message that I, I probably try to send to everybody within earshot that there is a, a feeling that some people have that if I don't host a podcast or if I don't stand on stage or if I don't have a television show or if I don't do this, that I'm not making any real difference and that nothing could be further from the truth. It's like, um, we won't change what happens at the top of the pyramid until we change what's happening at the grassroots. And that means when you are open about uh, an honest pursuit of the truth in your own life, whether you're an atheist or you're on a journey or whatever you are, and you tell your spouse, you talk about it with your kids, you speak to your parents, you have a, a mug that says something about reason on it at the office, you are engaging in benefiting your uh, local community, you're touching people's lives in a positive way as a rationalist, you're an activist and you are, you are changing the world in that, in that microcosm and the rest of the world doesn't change without that. So don't beat yourself up because you, you're not a podcaster with Adam Carolla type numbers coming in and millions of dollars and national exposure. Don't do that because you are cheating yourself of, of the truth, which is that you are a, a force for positive change in your own circle. You are being a rationalist, an atheist, a humanist in your own circle, and you are changing perceptions about what that is and making that world a better place. And that's where it starts. Imagine if we all were making our own personal circles a little bit better before you know it, all those dots connect and you got the whole picture. So that's probably my final word, my my summation rather for the audience would be, you know, you're an activist in, in those small ways. They're not small. There are no little things. You are changing the world. Big time, big time. I, and, and on that, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here because I think that was perfect. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really was, it was exactly where I wanted to get to with this. Um, because it, because it does matter. All of the things that all of us do every day matter and you never know what little thing you can do for somebody that could change their entire life for the better. And so, you know, go out there, try to be a good person, try to do the best you can. That's really at the end, all that we can do anyway. And thanks for so. your work too, Chris. It's uh, you make a difference. I mean, despite the fact that you're a cis white American male, <laughs> right. right. It, ex, despite all, the, all those things you are really, you're making a difference. And, yeah. and it's fun to be able to get together and have these kinds of conversations. I hope everyone has a, a wonderful new year. I hope yours is fantastic. Let's all, let's all do what we can to try to make our own little worlds a little bit better. And then we'll meet after uh, the next 12 months are up and compare notes and see how we did. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Cool, man. All right, folks. So we'll leave any questions, comments, or feedback for me or Seth actually uh, in the comment section on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. I always appreciate the feedback, good, bad, or sideways. Um, I will say I don't always appreciate the feedback when it's personal and insulting. <laughs> I don't particularly appreciate that kind of feedback, but comments about the ideas we're presenting, the show itself, that's, you know, I'm down for that. So uh, with that little clarification, Seth, thank you very much for participating in my podcast this week. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. All right, guys. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.